following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What's up, everybody? Dan back with you. Another episode of The Intentional Foul. Sorry I uh, missed you last week. Had some stuff going on. Life kind of got in the way a little bit. So again, I apologize for that. But we are back again for another jam-packed episode. A lot of stuff to get to. Week 6 NFL. Preview Week 7 as well. We've got some uh, Major League Baseball playoffs to talk about. We've got some Bucks stuff, some big news today out of Milwaukee. And uh, we'll see how we're doing on time. Maybe we'll do a little little remember that guy. Um, before we get going into that, I, I, uh, I got to do something pretty cool the other day. Um, my good buddy, my old college roommate, Chauncey Bame, invited me to go to the Dave Chappelle show at the Fiserv on Tuesday and uh, well worth going. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was of course good hanging out, but that Chappelle, man, he's something else. He, he, <laughs> he's always got something for you. He, he definitely did not disappoint. And uh, you know, the undercard, the, the, the preliminary act, I think uh, they had four guys. Three were good. First guy was not good. Uh, got to see Hannibal Burris was one of the guys that came on before Dave. And then, uh, of course, Ashy Larry, Donnell Rollins, was was there as well. So a lot of fun. Glad I got to do that. Um, would, would definitely go see him again. So that was definitely a good time. And then today, this afternoon, I was on, um, I was on the radio on John Barry's Local sports talk show on WCLO here, Bear Necessities, was on there talking a little bucks with uh, with Bear, and and um, it's always fun to go on his show. So anybody anybody that hasn't listened, I I I would urge you to check him out. I believe he's on every day from three to five on uh, WCLO here in Janesville. So check that out. All right, let's get to it. The Bears just, you know, the Bears are the Bears. And the Bears can't have nice things. And the Bears had played two pretty good games in a row. Um, Fields had played two pretty good games in a row. You know, we didn't talk last week, but the Bears, uh, I don't know what, last Thursday, two Thursday, I can't even remember, uh, shellacked Washington in Washington. Uh, Fields was very good again. DJ Moore broke out 250 yards, three touchdowns. You kind of got the feeling after that game, like, oh, we may have something here. Maybe, maybe they figured some things out. Nope. Nope. Came back to earth. Fields came back to earth. Six for 10, 58 yards, four sacks before leaving the game on the last sack, dislocating a finger. Uh, Tyson Badgett comes in. You know, whatever. It, it, it's a 
rookie backup from like a D two school. Um, Bears lose nineteen thirteen to Minnesota, who was without Justin Jefferson, their best guy. It was uh, pretty atrocious all the way around. Actually, I I, I got to give the defense credit. I thought they played probably their best game. Now, granted, you're playing against a, a Viking offense that's missing one of the best players in football, but you know, baby steps, and they were able to force a couple of turnovers. You know, hold the hold Minnesota to 19 points. That that's pretty solid. But offensively, again, just bad play calling from Getzey. I, I just, I just don't understand how you can have this much time off between games. You had ten days. This is similar to what happened with Green Bay last week. They had ten days after play, losing to Detroit to prepare for the for the Raiders, and their game plan was terrible. And the Bears did the same thing. And. It sounds like Fields is probably going to miss this week's game as well, uh, with that with that finger injury. And I, you know, it, it it really, if the final nail's not in the coffin for for Fields with with the Chicago Bears, I think we're damn close, damn close. Um, we're already going into week seven. If he doesn't play, he's not back till week eight. The Bears will have played seven games at that point. You're almost what? You're almost halfway through the season. Um, you've shown nothing really other than a couple of flashes in two games that you might have a future with this team. And the way things are looking, we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to some of the standings later. Bears got a really good chance of getting that number one pick. Um. Don't know if Caleb Williams is is the guy. Don't know if Caleb Williams wants to play in Chicago. But um, the Bears are going to have some some choices to make, uh, and I think they're they're coming sooner rather than later. I think the the trade you know trade Justin Fields before um, the trade deadline stuff is not that's not feasible, especially especially now that he's hurt. But I don't think the Bears are going to do that anyway. I think he will be somebody that they might be able to pedal after the season or or something, or you know, maybe as we get towards the draft, but I, I don't think that's gonna happen during the season. So it's you know, it's depressing, but it's it's not unexpected. I, I just you know, I'm kinda waiting for full meltdown. I thought we hit it a couple of weeks ago, then they come back. Make you feel a little bit better about things, you know. I, it's not like I have any illusions that this is potentially a good team or a playoff team or anything. It's just you know you're hoping to be competitive and and have something that you can look forward to. But just when you start feeling like there might be, unfortunately, they have to play again. <laughs> you know, they don't just you don't get to play a good game and the season stops. You got to play again. That's that's the Bears' biggest problem right now. All right. Let's get to some results. Week six, start last Thursday in a pretty awful, awful Thursday night game. Kansas City beats Denver 19-8. to um, Mahomes doesn't play very well. This was kind of a precursor to the entire weekend. Not very good quarterback play all the way around. Um, the, uh, the London game, Sunday morning, Baltimore uh, 24, Tennessee 16. Now, all of a sudden, Baltimore 
got a couple of wins here under their belt. They're they're starting to look pretty good. Uh, we touched on the Bear game. Uh, Cincinnati 17, Seattle 13. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow, good enough, but still not very good, uh, considering what we've seen from him the last couple of years. Uh, Geno Smith, bad game. Uh, you know, that's one where I think Seattle has to be kicking themselves. You know, C- Cincinnati's pretty wounded right now. They just feel like they're they're hanging on by a thread, and Seattle just could not get anything going to, to try to steal that one. Um, upset of the weekend, for sure. Uh, the Niners go to Cleveland and lose to the Browns, 19-17. Um, injury to McCaffrey, injury to Debo. Haven't heard their status on this week yet. Um, you know, Brock Purdy was not good. His first real real bad game as a starter. You know, it, it, the dude's not going to go undefeated forever. Uh, Cleveland has got an unbelievable defense this year. Like, historically, statistically, they're like the best defense through the first seven games in 40 years. Um, so, you know, just bad matchup. A couple guys get hurt. It happens. Um, Miami, who goes down 14 to nothing early to Carolina, rattles off the next 35 points and wins 42 to 21. That offense is is something else. But I did hear in their five wins, I think the combined record of the teams they beat is like five and 24. So we got we got a the one good team they played, Buffalo, kicked their ass. So you know. I, I think Miami's really good, but I, I got to see him against a little bit better competition. Uh, Houston goes uh, down to New Orleans and beats the Saints 20-13. to 13. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Saints team's not very good. Packer fans should feel very happy they were able to pull that one out because not only would you be 1-4, but you would have lost to a pretty shitty Saints team. Uh, Jacksonville looks like they've kind of righted the ship a little bit. 37-20 to 20 over Indianapolis. Uh, Vegas 21, New England 17. Um, Mac Jones just continues to play really bad and throw the ball to the other team a lot. That's not good for the Patriots. Um, and what is probably this may, well, this may be, maybe this was the biggest upset. I don't know. Call it 1A. The Jets 20, Philadelphia 14. Um, a really stupid late interception from Jalen Hurts leads to a, a, a game-winning touchdown for the Jets. And uh, pretty shocking that this Jets team is hanging around considering Zach Wilson's their quarterback. And, you know, that's that's a huge detriment to have to overcome. But I, they seem like they're pretty well coached. You know, they, they play hard for, for Salah. So, you know, give them credit. Philadelphia, you know, again, another team that they were kind of due for, for, a, for a stinker. And uh, they, like the Niners, get their first loss of the year. Uh, Detroit goes down to Tampa and wins 20-6. to Detroit just keeps impressing me. They really do. And, you know, I saw something the other day about, is Jared Goff a top-five quarterback in the NFL? Well, historically, from his past performance, no. If you looked at his, you know, skills, I guess, no. But the way he's playing and the way his team is playing, I think you got to say he is right now. I mean, right now you got to put him ahead of Joe Burrow. I'm not saying he's better than Joe Burrow. But in 2023, Joe Burrow's not a top-five quarterback. And Goff might be, which is kind of crazy. And just another horrific 
uh, primetime game. Buffalo beats the Giants 14-9. to um, I, I just don't know what to make of this Buffalo team, man. Like, they can look like a million bucks and throw 40-something up on Miami, and then you see them against these two New York teams in New York, week one against the Jets, and then this week against the Giants, and they just can't score. So, I mean, I, I like Josh Allen. I think he's really good, and obviously Diggs is a is a hell of a receiver, but I don't know. That offense is like some, something, something ain't clicking there. And then the Monday night game, Dallas, uh, which basically gave had themselves a home game in Los Angeles against the Chargers, uh, walks out of there with a 20-17 to 17 win. Packers and Steelers were both on a bye. So um, let's talk week seven now. Thursday night football, eh, not not a, not a great one here. Jacksonville four and two at the Saints three and three. I I gotta figure Jacksonville wins that game. I I just I'm just not liking that Saints team. Um, Raiders three and three at Bears one and five. As I said, sounds like Fields is probably out. I I cannot imagine the Bears winning that game with Tyson Badgett at the helm even against a crappy Raider team. I, I just feel like Max Crosby, as much of a terror as he was to the Packers, I can only imagine what he's going to do to the Bears. Um, Cleveland 3-2 and two at Indy 3-3. Three and three. Anthony Richardson, uh, rookie quarterback for Indy, out for the year with a shoulder injury. Hate to see that from a, from a young guy. Um, Cleveland, man, they got a chance to get to 4-2 and two here which is pretty shocking considering Deshaun Watson's been out. Don't really know what his status is. They lose Nick Chubb early on to that awful knee injury. Um, but like I said, that defense has been un- unbelievable to start the year. Buffalo 4-2 and two at New England 1-5. and five. I mean, you would think this would be a walk for Buffalo considering how awful New England's been this year, but we've seen Buffalo struggle against a bad team in the Giants just last week. So who knows there? Washington three and three at the Giants one and five. This is this is like a this is borderline unwatchable. If Daniel Jones is able to play, I, I think I'd lean Giants. But if it's Tyrod Taylor again, all bets are off. Three and three Atlanta at three and two Tampa Bay. I mean that 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 NFC South is. Just a mess. Saints stink. Atlanta stinks. I mean, Tampa Bay. I mean, they're three and two in Baker. It was a nice little story early in the year, but that's not a very good football team. Let's be honest. And then Carolina's awful. So this is like this might be a six, seven win division champion again. Didn't I think Tampa right last year had six? I'm I, who, right. Like, who am I asking? There's nobody here but me. Jesus Christ. All right, moving on. Detroit 5-1 and one at Baltimore 4-2. and two. This will be a good game. This is a nice test for the Lions. You know, on the road, hostile environment, well-coached team, star quarterback on the other side in Lamar Jackson. Um, if Detroit wins this game, I think a lot of people are really going to start jumping on that bandwagon, even more so than they have been. Um, this This would be a big one. And, you know, for Baltimore, too. This is a this is a an opportunity to beat a really good team at home and kind of try to separate yourselves a little bit in the division. 
get yourself to five and two. Uh, Pittsburgh three and two at the Rams three and three. This Rams team's frisky, man. They got a lot of weapons, a lot more than you would think. But this Puka kid that they got, this rookie wide receiver, um, he's been great. Cooper Cup is back. He's been great. Stafford's look good. Um, you know, Aaron Donald's doing Aaron Donald stuff on the other side of the ball. That's a frisky team. I don't know how Pittsburgh. I just, I feel like this is a Rams win. I don't know how Pittsburgh is going to be able to score. Uh, Arizona one and five at Seattle three and two. I mean, Seattle's got to get this. Got to get this one at home. Uh, Green Bay two and three at Denver one and five. Let's talk about the Packers a little bit. They look like shit against the Raiders. Jordan Love looked like shit against the Raiders. Matt Lafleur looked like shit against the Raiders. With ten days to prepare for that game, um, I, I don't really know what to make of that part. Jordan Love, as I've said many many times on this podcast, he's going to have some stinkers. It's going to happen. Um, but Matt Lafleur can't have those kind of stinkers, where he puts his quarterback at such a disadvantage and his offense at such a disadvantage that they can't really even function. And you know. I know Aaron Jones is out. I know Bakhtiari's out, but Bakhtiari's been out, so that that shouldn't really be an excuse anymore. Aaron Jones, okay, he's he's an important part of your offense, but we just went through an offseason where the league told us that running backs don't matter. Right? So if your running back gets hurt, then I can't then everybody can't tell me that it matters. I I don't think it can be both ways. I get that on your individual team, he might matter a little bit more, but you know, you got Dylan there. You, you you've always been able to kind of have some of these running backs out of nowhere that do reasonably well for you. But this game, Denver's defense is atrocious, and if the Packers do not win this game, I think I think Love, you know, he's not on the level of fields where his future is probably over with this team, but the Packers, they, this, this can't be like a four or five win team. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have the patience to sit there and let that happen. All right. Um, Chargers two and three at Kansas city, five and one Chargers are in trouble. They're in serious trouble here. Um, they do usually play pretty well in Kansas city, but uh, and Kansas City's offense has not been great. But I just feel like this is one of those games that's close in the fourth quarter and the Chargers find a way to screw it up because they have the worst coach in football. Um, Sunday night, we got a really good game. Game of the week, Miami 5-1 and one at Philly 5-1. and one. This, I think this game has the potential to, you know, 35-31, something like that. Um, there's going to be so much speed on the field in this one. It's going to be really fun to watch. Uh Monday night, San Francisco 5 and 1 at Minnesota 2 and 4. I mean, a pissed off 49er team coming in playing against a Minnesota team that's wounded without their best player. I think that's going to be a long night for Viking fans. Buys this week, Cincinnati, Dallas, Tennessee, the Jets, Carolina and Houston. So most buys we've had in a week so far. So that brings us to the Tankathon watch. And uh, right now I got six teams. 
Let's see, one, two, three, four, five of them have one win. That'd be Denver, Arizona, Chicago, New England, and the Giants. And Carolina has zero wins. Um, you got to kind of figure Carolina's got to beat somebody in that terrible division they're in. I mean, I can't imagine them going 0-6 in division. It just, those other teams just aren't good, that good. Um, interestingly, the Bears, I think in week 10, play Carolina. And like the second to last week of the season, they the Bears play Arizona. So it's going to be interesting to see how some of these teams play this. I mean, it's early. It's, it's. You know, we're only in week seven. It's There's a lot of football left to be played to start talking about tanking. And tanking in football is not like tanking in the NBA where, like, you just sit people out or you you go half speed. Like, you, you can't do that in football, obviously. But I don't know, man. Like, you know, does, does Denver bench Russell Wilson? Um, You know, does New England bench Mac Jones? It, it's hard for me to believe the Giants – are going to end up with a worse record than some of these teams. Um, I don't think they're that bad. But, you know, New England's in a really tough division. They're going to get a lot of losses. Arizona's in a tough division. They're going to get a lot of losses. And the Bears stink. And Denver stinks. So, man, it'd be crazy if the Bears had the first two picks. That would be That would be wild. I can't imagine that's ever happened before. Euchre, get on that stat. Find that out for me. Get on Google. All right. Let's talk a little baseball. So, since the last time we talked, we we got through the division series quite quickly. Uh, Texas swept Baltimore 3-0. Houston beat Minnesota 3-1. The Diamondbacks sweep the Dodgers 3-0. And Philly beat Atlanta 3-1. So... As we head into the LCS, we have one division winner out of the four left. Right now, Philadelphia is up 2-1 to one over Arizona in the NLCS. And in the ALCS, Texas is up 2-1 to one over Houston. Those two teams are playing as I record this here on Thursday. Um, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not this is a good thing, the way this is played out in the playoffs for baseball in general. Um, with so many of the higher seeds getting knocked out and really getting pounded in these games, um, this 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 week off that the top two seeds have for, for each league, it didn't seem, you know... I, it didn't seem like it was a good thing for them, for those teams. Um, Houston ended up winning their series, but the other three, the Dodgers, the Braves, and uh, who am I forgetting here? Dodgers, Braves, and, oh, Baltimore. They got they got worked. I mean, those teams got worked. And, you know, the Major League Baseball season is so long and you just you never have these four and five day layoffs other than the all star break, and it seems like it kind of screws these teams up. And I think another problem was at least in the in the National League, you know, 
the Braves and the Dodgers won their division by like double digit games. So these te- those two teams were cruising for the last three, four weeks of the season, damn near anyway. I think it's got to be hard to ramp up that intensity, especially when the team that you're playing in these series has already ramped it up the series before. You know, I mean, one of the things that made no sense was why they don't reseed after the wild card round. So Atlanta was the one seed. L.A. was the two. The Brewers were the three. Those were your three division winners. And then you had Philly four, Miami five, Arizona six. So the six beats the three when Arizona beats the Brewers. So they're the lowest seed remaining. They should be playing Atlanta, who's the one seed. But instead, because they just bracketed it off, they end up playing the Dodgers, a divisional opponent who they have who they know inside and out. And Philadelphia wins over Miami, and they end up playing the Braves. So the Braves, who are the best team in baseball all year long, have to play the best wildcard team in the division series? That doesn't make any sense. And again, I know it's a divisional opponent, which you know is what it is. But this, the they have to fight, they have to recede that. that that just doesn't make any sense. Now maybe the outcomes are the same. Maybe Arizona beats Atlanta and the Dodgers lose to Philadelphia. Certainly possible. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that you know you're the best team in baseball all year, and. You basically get no what your benefit is if there's a game five, you get game five at home. Like that's just to me, that's not enough. You know, maybe those five game series, maybe maybe the maybe the top seed gets all home games. I don't know. They got they got to figure something out to 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 do something more for these two these top two seeds. You know, I, I hate to say it. Because I hate the expansion of the playoff, but maybe they need to go to eight teams. You know, just go to just go to eight teams. Nobody gets a bye. You just have three rounds, and that's it. I don't know. The reseeding thing just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I just don't understand why they wouldn't do that. Very silly, but you know, it's Major League Baseball. It's Rob Manfred. And you know he's he's not the best. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on college football. Um, that Badger Iowa game that's one of the worst Division One football games I've ever seen, and probably the worst quarterback play in a Power Five conference in the Division One. At least that I can remember seeing. May I, I shouldn't say ever, but at least that I could remember seeing. I mean, Iowa won the game with a quarterback who threw for 37 yards. And he looked like an offensive lineman. He was gigantic. Uh, apparently, he used to be on the Badgers or something. I don't know. Um, you know, Mordecai breaks his hand. He's done. They bring in this other kid. He's awful. He's just getting crushed back there, fumbling all over the place. It was it was bad. It was bad. I listen. I said before the season, I thought this was a four loss Badger team. Um, you know, the Oregon State loss doesn't look as bad. They, that appears to be a pretty good team. Um, Iowa's Iowa. You know, 
even when they're good, they're not that good. We all know that. Um, you know, they got Ohio State coming up next week. Or no, yeah, next week. Um, gonna loop, I, mean, I can't imagine they would win that game. And, uh, you know, I just, somebody else will probably get them along the way. Northwestern, Minnesota, something like that. Um, I, yeah, I just, it's been, it's a, it's an ugly, uh, ugly season, ugly team to watch. I'm going to give Fickle the benefit of the doubt, obviously. It's year one. Um, you know, he, he's got to get his guys, more of his guys, his system and implemented his way of doing things. Cause it's different. It's different than, than what we've, we've seen in Madison for, for many, many years. So, um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but man, whoo. That was one ugly college football game. All right. NBA. Uh, Bucks' final preseason game is Friday, tomorrow, at home against Memphis. But that's kind of the small part of what's going on with the Bucks right now. So I get an alert on my phone this afternoon that assistant coach Terry Stotts is stepping down. Terry Stotts, who was just hired this summer to be part of first-year head coach Adrian Griffin's staff. Um, Stotts had like nine or ten years of head coaching experience in Portland. Um, he had a couple years with the Bucks as a head coach. He was a longtime assistant under George Carl with the Sonics and the Bucks. He was an assistant for Rick Carlisle in Dallas when they won the title in 2011. So he's been around a long time. Had a lot of success. And just out of nowhere today, he's gone. And I was having a hard time kind of finding out what exactly could have been the reason. Like, was it a health thing? Um, you know, who who knows? But tonight I, I've been reading some stuff that apparently there's a pretty corroborated report, you know, by some of the bigger guys, Shams and Woj and, and guys that cover the NBA. Apparently the other day at the end of shoot-around, there was a little bit of an uh, argument, disagreement type of deal between Adrian Griffin and Terry Stotts. And it, to make a long story short, it seemed like Adrian Griffin wasn't too keen on Terry Stotts doing his own thing um, as, as a coach. You know, he, he's the experienced one. He kind of feels like he, he knows how this works, but, He's not the head coach. Adrian Griffin is. So it sounds like there was a little bit of friction there. And, and you know, listen, um, is it a big deal? No. It's not, but it's also not nothing. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a deal. You know, they brought him in to be uh, the right-hand man to Adrian Griffin. They brought him in to be basically the offensive coordinator. He was going to be drawing up the offensive plays because – Griffin's more of a defensive coach. Um, and then you had the bonus with his relationship with Damian Lillard from when he coached him in Portland for seven, eight, nine years, whatever it was. And they had a good relationship. So it's a little jarring to see that, that, that it seemingly happened out of nowhere. Um, I saw a couple of interviews today. Griffin was asked about it. He said, you know, you're going to have to ask Terry Stotts, you know, is his decision. Nobody... Nobody asked him to step away. 
Um, you know, and in some ways, I guess good on Stotts for, for not hanging around and, and turning it into a shit show. I mean, I guess I got to give you props for that. But, you know, as as the veteran coming in, you know, you got to show some respect to the to the new coach, uh, especially in, in front of the players. You know, if you have a disagreement about something or or how uh, how their how your process works, you know, do that do that behind closed doors. Um, you know, you gotta you can't be undermining a first year head coach before he's even coached a game in front of his team. Um, and you know, Adrian Griffin was a player himself. And he was a you know undrafted scrappy guy who eked out a eight nine year career in the NBA. So like you ain't gonna you ain't gonna push him around. You ain't gonna intimidate him. Um, so I you know, and I like Adrian Griffin kind of standing his ground and saying you know listen I'm the coach of the team and this is the way we're gonna do it. And apparently if you don't like it, there's the door. And Terry Stotts chose the door. So, um. Just some observations from the couple of games that I have watched. Um, I did watch the game Sunday against the Lakers. I did not get to see the game Tuesday because I was actually at the Pfizer of watching Chappelle. But um, Malik Beasley has looked pretty good. Uh, I, I think Bochamp has had some nice moments. Uh, I like the Jackson Jr. kid. They drafted out of UConn. I mean, he's a big-time athlete. I don't know that we're going to see him a lot early on. But I think as the season progresses, he's going to be a guy that if he if he can find a way to in the you know eight to twelve minutes that he might get to to be a, to impact the game defensively, you know, and maybe get a couple of buckets in transition, I think he could find a way. There's there's opportunities on this team for some of these young guys to find minutes um, in the in at the two or the three spot. And for guys like Bochamp and Jackson Jr., um, you know, they're going to have opportunities to fail, I think, and they're going to have opportunities to to win some time. So it's going to be fun to watch that. Jay Crowder's looked pretty good so far as well. Looks, uh, looks a lot better than he did last year. Looks to be moving better. You know, last year, him not playing for four months and then just joining a team in the middle of a playoff hunt, eh. That's hard to do. We talked about it then. It's it's just it's a hard thing to do. Um, Cameron Payne, <laughs> Cameron Payne shoots a lot, and Cameron Payne is open a lot and is kind of dared to shoot a lot. And you're going to see a lot of runner floaters from him in the lane because um, it's going to be open for him. He's just got to be able to knock him down. I think the other night he was like one for nine or one for ten from the floor. That's you can't have that out of your backup point guard. That's that's too many misses. Um, listen, I I think the Bucks are going to be a. I think it's going to be a clunky, awkward start to the season for them. You know, the Stotts thing will have a little bit of an effect. It 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 can't not. It'll have a little bit of an effect somewhere, negatively at least in the short term. And, I, you know, even watching Dame and Giannis a little bit in that Laker game, it was the first time they had played together, so it wasn't very smooth. Um, the pick, Some of the pick-and-roll stuff, obviously we still haven't seen Middleton yet. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're going to go through, through some growing pains. There's going to be some nights I think they give up 
a lot of points early on in the season. I, I didn't love what I saw defensively um, from the Bucks against L.A. That's going to be a work in progress all year. I think it's going to be interesting to to watch the rotations that Griffin uses. Um, when when all three, Giannis, Dame, and Middleton are healthy, you should have two of the three of those guys on the floor at all times during the game. And Giannis and Dame should never be off the floor at the same time unless the game's over and they're just they're watching mop up duty in a in a nice win. You know, Giannis historically plays like the first six, eight minutes and then comes out and sits the rest of the quarter and comes back in to start the second. That that little window, that little four or five minute window, that's gotta be Dame time. That's when he he can kind of go back to his Portland days and do his thing and and look to score. Um, and then, you know, conversely, when Giannis comes in and you sit Dame at the beginning of the second quarter, that's when Giannis can do his thing and, and do his little, you know, four or five minutes of domination. And and while all that's going on, you still got Middleton, you still got Lopez floating around doing their thing. You know, that that's my perfect scenario. We'll see how how Griffin plays that, but that's an important thing to, to keep an eye on. Um, so the season opener is a week from tonight. At home against Philadelphia, who's going through their own shit show with James Harden, who reported, who's held out for a couple of days, then reported to camp, then now is gone and has been gone for like a week, unexcused. Um, I can't imagine him playing in this guy. I, I just, I just don't see him playing for Philadelphia again. I, I just don't know how he could possibly come in with a brand-new head coach and Nick Nurse and a team that has championship aspirations. I don't even know why they would want him to play, honestly. Um, but he can't really hold out because there's some contractual things where you know, he, he cannot get paid and it can screw with his free agency next year. So, I, you know... This some form of a trade has got to get done here soon, I would think. And unfortunately for the Sixers, you know they're probably going to have to take pennies on the dollar just to get rid of his ass. So, all right. Well, that was a pretty, pretty quick here, almost forty minutes running through some stuff. Um, I do have a, a new edition of Remember That Guy. Let me take a swig of water here, real quick. So we got another baseball, another basketball. We'll start with baseball. This guy played from 1970 to 1994. Yeah, 25 seasons. Spent 11 with the Dodgers, 11 with the Rangers, two with the White Sox, and two with the Marlins. One all-star appearance in 1986. He was a knuckleballer. Charlie Huff. I remember getting this dude's baseball card back in the day, and he reminded me of uh, the dude in Major League, the pitcher, the old dude that gets hit in the bat for drinking Joe Boo's rum. I can't think of his name right now. This is who Charlie Huff reminded me of when I when I first saw his baseball card. Um, career stats. This is interesting. Two. two he, career, yeah. Let me try that again. Career stats, 216 wins, 216 losses. <laughs> that's 
That's pretty amazing. I mean, 432 career decisions he had. That's unbelievable. 3.75 ERA, 3,800 innings pitched, 2,362 strikeouts, 1,665 walks, 107 complete games. That's insane. 13 career shutouts. Interestingly, the first 11 years in the majors, he only started 23 games. Um, he was mostly like a like a middle or a long reliever back in those days where you know, sometimes those guys would come in in the fifth inning and pitch the rest of the game. Um, became a full-time starter in 1982 once he leaves the Dodgers and goes to the Rangers. And he starts 30 games 10 of the next 11 years. Leads the league in starts twice, including a career-high 40 starts in 1987 at the age of 39. His best season was 1987. He went 18-13 and 13 in 40 starts, 3.79 ERA, 285 innings pitched, 223 strikeouts, 124 walks, and all of that at the age of 39. That knuckleball, man, it gives you some... Knuckleballer and left-handed reliever, you can be in the... You could be in the show for a long time. I got another guy in my mind now that I think left-handed reliever for for maybe next week's remember this guy. Um, Charlie Huff only made the postseason three times, 74, 77, and 78 with the Dodgers, you know, pitched sporadically, as a, like I said, as a reliever. Didn't really have much, much to speak of there. Um, not a Hall of Famer. Definitely a leading candidate. First ballot, Hall of Longevity. I mean, you play 25 years. That's crazy. I, I mean, I think he retired. I think he was 45, 46, something like that. Man, that is a very, very long career. All right, this one here. This one will hit a little more close to home. Um, This guy played 18 seasons in the NBA from 1982 through 2000, two years with San Diego, six with Milwaukee, six with San Antonio, one with Seattle, one with Philly, one with New York, two with Golden State. Before that, played three years at DePaul, where he had a career average in college of 16.5 points, 10 rebounds, first-team All-American in 1982. He was the number two overall pick in the 82 draft by the then-San Diego Clippers. Um, James Worthy actually went number one in that draft. He is Terry Cummings, one of my childhood favorite basketball players growing up in the 80s as a Bucks fan. Um, career averages, 16.5 points, 7.5 rebounds. Um, as I said, he was drafted by the Clippers, uh, but before the 84 season in a blockbuster deal, he is sent to the Bucks along with Craig Hodges and Ricky Pierce, for Marcus Johnson, Junior Bridgman, and Harvey Catchings. Um, this is a Bucks team that had just made back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. And they traded away their best player, or, well, one of their two best players in Marcus Johnson, him and, him and Sidney Moncrief. Junior Bridgman, who was another great player in his time, um, for, for some youth. And the three guys they got back, Cummings, Hodges, and Pierce, um, were really good Buck players through the rest of the decade. Um, 
Some of his career highlights, the 1985 Eastern Conference semifinals versus Philadelphia. The Bucks win that one in a sweep 4-0. He averages 25-8 and against a young Charles Barkley. Uh, 86 again, Eastern Conference semis against Philly. The Bucks win in seven, averages 23-10 and again, um, including a 27.8 rebound performance in a Game 7 win, which actually was Dr. J's last game in the NBA. 1987 Eastern Conference Semis versus Boston. The Bucks lose in seven, but he averages 23 and nine, which is a little bit down from the previous series. But when you consider he's going up against a front line of Bird, McHale, and Parrish, that is quite impressive. Uh, before the 1990 season, he is traded to the Spurs f- uh, for Alvin Robertson and one of my all time favorite nicknames in the NBA, Greg Cadillac Anderson. Uh, Cummings plays with a young David Robinson for for a six year stretch, kind of being, um, kind of being his enforcer. His he he was to David Robinson kind of what Charles Oakley was to Patrick Ewing, you know, um, a little bit of a finesse center. So you had to have some muscle at that power forward spot, and Terry Cummings certainly provided that. Uh, his his you know his early time with the Spurs, he was still an excellent player. Uh, 1990 Western Conference semis against Portland. They lose in seven games, but he averages 26 and nine, including a 27 and 10 in a game seven loss. The rest of his career um, with San Antonio, and then the the rest of the teams I named uh, that he spent a year or so with. He's basically a role player, um, a mentor. Um, I heard a lot of stories after the fact um, from guys that uh, he was a big influence on them. Um, helping them through their career. Very very good guy, very good teammate. He was a two-time All-Star. He actually scored 50 points once in a game. 1993 Rookie of the Year, again, over James Worthy. That's pretty impressive. Made second-team All-NBA in 1985 and third-team again in 1989. So, you know, you make a second-team All-NBA, you're one of the top ten players in the world um, in a given year. That's, that's damn impressive. And, you know, he came up in an era in the 80s um, where he's going against Bird, McHale, Barkley, Carl Malone, Bernard King, James Worthy, uh, Dominique Wilkins, Dr. J, eventually Pippen. Um, so big-time guys at the forward position in the 80s. But Terry Cummings, like I said, one of my favorite bucks, man. I was I was so sad when they traded him for Alvin Robertson. I was so sad. That was one of my, you know, obviously the Ray Allen's the worst one. I mean, I think that damn near makes every Buck fan cry a little bit. Um, that was the worst one, but trading TC, that, that one hurt. That one hurt. All right, well, this was a little bit of a shorter episode. Not not quite as much going on. Um, had a few other things to uh, attend to this evening as well. But uh, I do appreciate you coming back, listening again. Another episode of The Intentional Foul. Um, I will be back next week. I hope to maybe try to get something earlier in the week, maybe before uh, the NBA season officially starts. I know there's two games Tuesday night, uh, but the but the season really starts next Thursday. That's when the majority of the league will play. So I'd like to get something in, talk a little bit about what I think is going to happen with the league. Obviously, we'll do some NFL stuff again uh, next week. And I would think by next week we're going to have – a uh, a couple of teams in the World Series. So um, I have a feeling it's going to be Philly and Houston again. 
man, this Philly team, they can hit. They can really hit. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all we got. We'll be back with another episode of the Intentional File next week, and we will see you down the road.